Hello and welcome to Plant Pals, the podcast where I talk to my pals about plants. I'm your host, Mike, and my pal this week is Erica. She is wrapping up a master's studying cattail invasion and removal in northern Michigan. I am a botanist by uh, nature. (laughs) Um, I'm currently a master's candidate at Northern Michigan University, and I spent the last three summers at Voyager's National Park as a biological science technician. Um, And before that, just any various field work jobs doing botany and plant surveys all over the place, um, including Eastern Oregon. In Southern California, where I actually met Mike for the first time. Shout out. Hello. Uh, <laughs> what were you studying for your master's? Um, so I'm at? looking at the effects of prescribed fire on uh, invasive cattail in northern wetlands. Oh, cool. Yeah, because you had your study site flooded like all the way up, right? Like, yeah. I remember there was one summer you're like, I can't do anything this year because there's like a historic amount of water in yep. my bog. <laughs> yeah, so that was last season actually. So initially I was only looking at the effects of fire on this uh, horrible invasive cattail. Um, and just the next, we were just doing more um, repetitions of the same thing and we were just going to go out and recollect data in these same wetlands. And we ended up getting like an insane amount of water in uh, sites that were like walk-in sites were now under like eight feet of water for three months of the growing season yeah it's kind of crazy how like i'm just running through the data right now um as part of my research and it didn't really do much to stop that cattail it's that cattail is so invasive that it's just like yeah and so aggressive that it's it's not really doing a whole lot to kill it so i know it's interesting it's definitely interesting to see what kind of management techniques they're going to have to use for this um but yeah. So, okay. What's the, I don't know how to phrase this without sounding like Jerry Seinfeld. Sure. What is the deal with cattail? What because, about that? As I understand it, it's like a mega species that's conglomerated back into itself, and it's like unknowable genetics now. So, as far as I know, um, the cattail in the Midwest is hybrid cattail. Um, what basically that means is that uh, species of cattail um down in the southwest kind of migrated its way up into midwestern waterways and it hybridized with the native cattail that was there and that hybrid has like hybrid vigor so it's better able to um grow in those conditions than both parent species that makes sense um okay yeah and it's very much able to grow different um water levels and like it's nearly impossible to kill because it uh, produces a lot of dead biomass every season and then that litter prevents other things from growing. So eight feet of water for three months didn't choke it out either? Nope. It slowed it down a little bit in areas that we burned but not not really anywhere. And another cool thing about it is that it can form, form like these floating mats 
Um, so when the population establishes itself, uh, they become their own entity and they can break off of the substrate and float around the waterways and form new populations. Um, so those floating mats are able to move with the fluctuating water levels and they're not even being affected by that. So I know you shouldn't anthropomorphize plants, but that's the creepiest fucking thing. Yeah, no, it's pretty nasty. Um, <laughs> it's pretty nasty. Imagine just seeing like an acre of uh, cattail coming to your shore. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. no, we've had like, um, we've had, uh, people that just live around the, the lakes that we work on and they're just like, can you come chop this up? And we're like, well, technically we work for the park. So no, we can't, but like, it's yeah. just insane. And it, oh God, they're huge. They, they like have clogged up channels in the lakes with that boats use to get through. And we've had to go out and physically move these mats that are like several acres big from just out of the waterways so that boats can get through. How do you move them? With boats. <laughs> so we yeah. threw some anchors on top, like the, the big shovel anchors onto the, the floating cattail mat. We got out on the cattail mat and flew, dropped the anchors on it and then tied the anchor off to the boat and like pulled it out of the waterway. It's, it's insane and it looks really dumb, but like it works. So yeah, it kind of messes up the boats a little bit, but that's so, Yeah. <laughs> so without spoiling your, big fantasy thesis release drop. What were you finding with the, the burns that were happening with them? Um, so it's not spoiling much. It's pretty much consistent with the literature that's out right now. Um, one treatment doesn't do a whole lot. Um, and multiple treatments might do something. Um, burning <laughs> and uh, burning and flooding is probably the best thing, best combination that we tried. I mean, we only tried burning and you know, flooding separately and, and then burning and flooding together. So, I mean, our treatments were very limited, but also um, the treatments that we had done, the fire, um, we did, did it during the dormant season of cattail. So the cattail wasn't photosynthesizing or anything already, but there are studies out there that like show that um, burning during the dormant season does something. So like that they still are using the gas exchange in the dead stems that are standing above okay. the snow when when they're dormant which is kind of interesting but um yeah it's it's not really doing a whole lot <laughs> <laughs> fucking sweet yeah. um so the burning doesn't like removing all that biomass that is dead standing like that doesn't help it at all help it as in the cattail itself. as like now it has like no it's got all this extra growing space doesn't have to compete against its former self for shade or anything you know or for so sun. it knocks it back a wee bit a wee little bit and then it just explodes after that so like it's it's only doing i mean we've we've only have like one year post data we don't have more than that so it's it's hard to see like if there's anything actually going on long term in these air, these wetlands where we're burning but like i assume it's it's releasing a whole lot of nutrients we're seeing a whole lot of freshwater sponges and things in the wetlands where we were what? we had burned super cool yeah um that's exciting i don't know i like that um and then, yeah i didn't even know there was freshwater sponges <laughs> oh my God. in okay like... i have to show you a picture yeah. You might want to pause yeah. this. <laughs> every every single episode, dude. This is like a five episode streak. Somebody brings a visual cue. It's the funniest fucking thing. Oh, let me see if I can find it. I was worried about even starting a plant podcast because I'm like, plants are like very exclusively a visual yeah. medium. I feel like. <laughs> Except for smell. Well, and I think they they um, tickle all the senses. You know. <laughs> <laughs>
Can you see it? It's teeny tiny. Oh, uh, it looks like an abscess. Yeah. <laughs> Can I, do you see the same number? I'll text it to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. There's, there's your PhD he's looking at. Freshwater know, sponge honestly, proliferation after burn treatments. I should have changed it at the last minute. <laughs> I want to know about the biology of the UP. The UP? Oh my god. Okay, so it is in the northern part of Michigan that touches mm-hmm. Wisconsin, if you don't know. Um, Not the glove. Nope, the, the above, above the glove. <laughs> so here's that. It's like up, visual cue. up here Excellent. on the yeah. top knuckle. So this is the Keweenaw. This is it's right here is where Marquette is. Um, oh, this is an audio podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm touching my knuckle on my other hand. Um, so, yeah, uh, the biology of the Upper Peninsula. Um, I wish I could tell you more. It's really cool. Um, there's a lot of bogs and things, uh, which is my oh, yes. favorite part. Boreal bogs are the coolest thing. Um, if I could specialize in that, I would, I think. But um, I don't know. That's kind of a broad question. What's your favorite part about it in the bogs? Okay, so my favorite part of bogs in the Upper Peninsula is the, the, the diversity of the plants, I guess. Um, I love how many different carnivorous plants there are up here specifically. I think that they, because they've had to adapt to such like harsh conditions being like the coldness and like the lack of nutrients in the bog themselves. It's just the diversity is so cool. The, and we've got um, the triantha, uh, the both. Oh, that new carnivorous plant. Yeah, so that new lineage that they just, disca- well, the carnivory lineage is new i guess but um so the one that they described on the west coast is um occidentalis right uh i mean that's what what west would be so assuming. so the one we have over here is glutinosa and they haven't like looked into the carnivory aspect of it in the species that we have over here and i'm sure it's like the same thing because it's still got the same hairs that it you there's like little uh, what you call it? Midges and things that are stuck to the the little hairy bits on the stem. Uh, it'd be interesting to look into, and I think that that would be could be a project in itself. Seeing where those how those nutrients are used by the plant and what specifically it's feeding off of, or whether or not it's feeding at all from or getting nutrients from those um, insects that it's capturing. Yeah, because like there's some bugs that are endemic to Saracenia purpurea. Like, they need the trap juice to complete their, like, little wiggly worm phase. Trap juice. It's like a mosquito and a midge. <laughs> midge, yeah my, yeah. my roommate right now is actually studying midges for her master's research. Um, we, I took an entomology oh. class last year. that's got to be fucking difficult. Oh, she's looking at their gut content. So she's literally dissecting their stomachs under microscopes. Yeah. Just like three protozoa, and then they're four. Yeah, I don't know what she's found. A lot of she said they look like sand grains right now, so I can't imagine what what the heck that is. But my word, they're eating sand. I can't imagine that they're getting anything out of that if that's what they're doing. But I don't know, weird. Um, did you hear about the new uh, you know Nepenthes? Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, is you have a couple, one? right? 
What's that? Ever, yeah, there's a new one. And fucking, not only is it a new one, it's the first of its kind with a trap mechanism. They have underground subterranean traps. Where is this? Where is this? What is this? Indonesia. Nepenthes, oh god, Nepenthes underground traps. <laughs> okay, that. I'm like, it. What is it called? On uh, North Kalimantan. Yeah, it's uh, they were taking like a a voucher specimen, or they were just looking at the roots, and all of a sudden they found all these white roots growing off of like nodules underground. That and is so insane. it traps, right? That's like I was like, this is the biggest thing that's ever happened, ever. Think- Nepenthes pudica. 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 Isn't that that's the epithet for mimosa? What does pudica mean? Pud. Um, I don't know. Cause then you guys have that uh, that the the bulb up there, the fritillaria pudica. It says pudico means left. It's kind of disappointing. I don't think left. that's what... okay. Is it Latin? It makes Latin. sense. Of course, it's Latin. It's Latin, oh, Greek, mashed into English. In English. Chaste? Chaste. Like, it's modest. Like prudica? Prudish, I guess. But, like, that makes sense with mimosa pudica, right? Because, like, it's, it's shy. Oh, because it gets all shy. It's Don't touch boring. me. Oh. Like, yeah. That's kind of fun. <laughs> Prudish. <laughs> all right. What carnivorous plants do you have there besides the Saracenia? Okay. I'm assuming some so sundews. So we have purpurea, Saracenia purpurea. We have um, the triantha. Tri- Glutinosa. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we got glutinosa, and then we've got like a whole shitload of sundews. Well, I mean, just the one species. Well, no, that we've got uh, Drosera, Rotundifolia, and then Intermedia, and then we've got the hybrid uh, Angelica, which is English sundew. Oh, uh, we don't get that in New England too much in the coastal plain, anyways. That's like a mountainy, boggy one. Mountain that one mountain. makes it all the way out to California, I think. We don't Hold have up. mountains here. <laughs> well, but you're, like, so northern. You're, like, you're just, like, at a mountain climate, even though yeah. you're, like, at, you know, 300 feet or whatever. Yeah. I'm basing that off of never having been there and just seeing lots of snow. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it's, Michigan Forest is still not working. <laughs> and I'm upset about it. Um... <laughs> Oh, I don't know what to base any of my knowledge off of. Uh, let's see here. So we've got sundews, yeah. And then we've got a whole bunch of bladderworts, too. Um, Purpurea is one of my favorites. It's endemic Ooh. to... Well, it's not endemic, but we've got, like, one population over at this lake near Marquette. And it's, like, super cool. So it's... Um, We've got Resupinata, which is in the soil. Okay, hang on. These aren't making sense. I'm oh. just listing off names right now. Resupinata is super cool. Resupinata is yellow? Horn-shaped? I don't know. I don't know. Does that actually develop flowers? Because there's Cornuta, too, which is yeah, yellow. Yeah, Cornuta we have. Like so whole... we have, like, three or four different flavors of um, Utricularias <laughs> at this one lake that's, like, an inland lake, and it's super pristine area, and it's just gorgeous out there. Uh, utricle area, Resupinata. Oh, Resupinata is the purple one that I'm thinking of, that it just kind of lives in the, in the soil and mm-hmm. does, like, the carnivory thing with, like, little rotifers and what have you in the soil, which is cool. But it gets, like, really pretty purple flowers when it blooms, and I've never seen it in bloom, but I've seen the actual picture, or the traps in the soil when we went out to that lake. 
put one of my bonnet labs, cool. and it was pretty cool. Um, so we've got like a bunch of different species of Neutralaria out here, which is one of my favorites. So I like that a lot. We've got Cornuto. We've got, um, I think it used to be Vulgaris. I'm not sure if it's still Vulgaris now, but um, the common one. And then we've got like two more in Minnesota that I got to see over the summer. And I've been really getting into the cotton grasses up there. I don't know why. I feel like really? I am, yes. We have a species or two in the bogs in southeastern Mass. I love um, what the heck is their Latin name? Terraforium. So E-R-I-P-H-O-R-I-U-M, I think. Damn, off the dome. It's it's a good one. Yeah, no, they're the tits. Whenever it's like late fall and their little cotton tops are like just it's like it's like literally like something out of a Dr. Seuss book, like there's exactly. truffula seedlings coming the up truffles. out of this bog. <laughs> mm-hmm. Dude, so I was in the bog like uh, this past season, and like it was there were cranberries. Dude, all so I was in the bog. Fucking love it. I, you have my hundred percent attention. Go on. No, so okay, I have a different funny story about that. But I was down in the bog um, this past season, and there was like it was just kind of frosty out, and there was like a dense fog hanging over the bog, fog in the bog, um, and hey. there was like cranberries out, and the cotton grass had. Um, little spider webs on it that were just covered in dew and it was so magical and beautiful and oh, it just warmed my heart so there's sundews underneath it yeah yeah it was just a, it was it was very picturesque i guess but i don't know just it was a very nice time <laughs> we had a really good one um i'm assuming you are more is it tamarack up there yeah the dominant bog tree because yep. we have atlantic white cedar okay um which is like pert near extinct because it made really good boats, but um, there's like there's a couple of bogs that still have like mature forests, um, and Ponkapog Bog in southeastern Mass is one of them, and it's got a boardwalk, and it's just like the biggest bog. It's a it's um, I don't know if it's a hanging bog per se or like a floating bog, mm. but it's like on the it kind of like there is this kettle pond, this lake basically. And half of it has been bogified. Wow. And it's just the coolest place always. It's got, you know, it's like that perfect community composition where it looks like there's been prescribed burns, but it's yeah. just like Atlantic white cedar with the sphagnum understory with saracenia and then the stray sundew. And then you go out to an opening and it's all cotton grass and calipogon. And, oh my um, God, hell yeah. What's what's the other bog orchid there? The grass pink. Isn't that Pagonia? Poop! It's poop! The USDA acronym oh. is poop for it. Pogonia aggressive ah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love oh it. Oh my god. <laughs> What's the other one I like? Uh, there's Balsamariza Sagittaria, which is always classic. Mm-hmm. Balsag. And then there's, oh, ooh, Gudiera oblongifolia, the rattlesnake plantain orchid. Uh, Google. Google. <laughs> or at least I used hex codes when I collected it, so oh, okay. I, didn't, I didn't use the. The fancy four-letter federal sure, sure. fucking shill codes. I think that the three-letter or the six-letter ones make more sense, but they're like part of bird culture, and I'm not down with that. So <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were a birder. We lived in a bird know. sanctuary. I got lumped into it and suckered into it by the park service. They made me start doing marsh bird surveys in the cattail swamps up there, just as part of my yeah. job. And it was like I like getting up early and getting out on the boats early and like bopping sure, around in the that. swamps at like fucking 6am and just being out there but like I don't care about birds no offense to the birds out there but like it's 
they're just <laughs> all the same and they look the same. When I see a cool bird, I'm like, yeah, 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 I get yeah. the give same feeling as a plant. Give me a uh, American bittern, but like the 99 okay, so <laughs> out there, I don't, I don't want, I don't. No, I don't know. You're overcompensating because I don't know what those two birds are, and you just listed them off like, yeah, you know, give me this bird, whatever, <laughs> sure. Well, okay, so they're very distinctive. Both of them have very distinctive calls, and they were two of the secretive marsh birds that we had to look for, so they came to mind. But yeah, the the you should listen to the call of an American bitter, and it's very very distinctive. It sounds like a. I'm not gonna do it because <laughs> that would be. I weird. can play it. I can splice in an MP3. Yeah, do that. Do that. That'd be cool. Here and here's the call of the American bittern. Wasn't that lovely? <laughs> Convincing. Um, do you remember that bird that was down in Orange County? It was quick three beers. I do. Is that quail? No. No, that was Chicago. Chicago. Okay. I always think, okay, all right. So I always think quail say you killed him. Uh, you killed him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Chicago's like way nicer because quail are just Chicago. doing their thing. I don't know why they're always like just about, <laughs> just have witnessed a murder. I mean, they're a bird, so they would be murderous. It's true. Um, do you remember that? We went to the, I, you know what I realized also, I'm going to edit this the fuck out, but I say um at the start of every sentence, it's the worst, and I say like a lot, so I'm going to focus on not saying like a lot. So, <laughs> remember that, um, fuck, god damn it, <laughs> we went to an auction for Audubon, so you were, and we went, we to, went to that auction? auction dinner, was that the remember? one up in the valley where we went, um, and it was oh. like at this bougie club, this, uh, yeah, that wasn't in the, like, not the San Fernando, that was just another part of Orange County. That was like Irvine. But that was wasn't like, even Irvine. That was like Mission Viejo. It was close, and it was at like a country club that we didn't fit in at. Yes, and I went my first season, and we didn't go the second time. So what are you remembering? I remember when we went up into... It might have just been into... We had like a... There's a Calypsi. The California Invasive Plant Council had a little talk at the golf course we clubhouse. Yeah, because we didn't go to that fancy banquet the next year, because we got huh. rip-roaring drunk the year before, bid on a Big Bird of California, or of North America book, and I didn't get it. Oh. It had all the calls. It was like one of those, like, the cow says moo books, but it was every single bird call in North America had a little player for it. Oh, that's fun. It was tight as hell. But maybe, you know what, shit, if I had gotten it? that book, maybe I would have been a birder. How much did you what? put in for it? I think I put like five bucks down. Oh. So That's yeah, like the snooze got me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I you know what we were getting paid back then. I wasn't <laughs> reeling it in. Yeah, but at least we didn't have to pay for housing back in those days. So. Goddamn right. After our time in Orange County, you went to Oregon, correct? Where you worked with former uh friend of the podcast, former friend of the podcast, current friend of the podcast, alum Emily Bishop. Yes. Who worked in Burns with you doing grassland monitoring? Yeah, so it was sagebrush, um, but it was mostly on the rangeland. So it was a lot of uh, Artemisia trientata. Wasn't it? No. Trientata. Trientata. Yeah. Um, but it was out there. So there's like some really cool species. Um, I need to brush up on my species again. I don't remember them. 
as much as I'd like to, but I don't know. It was, it was really pretty out there and I kind of fell in love with Oregon and I really hope to be back out there by the end of this master's project or whatever. But yeah. I, you were in Burns? Yep. Yeah, I was in Burns. I probably, I don't know how I feel about going back to Burns, but I want to be back in Oregon. I really liked Oregon. Just like the amount of like, you could drive in a day and end up in four or five different plant communities. And plus they got the, the cool little, um, California pitcher plants out there. And I know they have them in California Darlingtonia? too, but Darlingtonia, in not in Burns, but in Oregon. I'm just talking okay. about Oregon. Well, I was like, cause I remember we would watch cops on our lunch break and it was always in Burns and you're <laughs> like, it? Oh yeah, we got jobs out there. I was what? like, all right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, all the crime that was happening in Burns, Oregon. A lot of crime? No. There was no there was like no? more cows oh. than people in that in Malheur County County there was more cows than people. I think it was like eighty Damn. cows per one person. Which is interesting. But that's where um we were just north of the Malheur no, wildlife refuge where Is that the one the wackos took over? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The wake the wack not the wackos. Wait, wait. The Wacos <laughs> <laughs> God damn, almost. Um, Nearly had it there. But there was like the, it was the Bundys or whatever, and they like held, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. held the wildlife refuge people hostage for a hot minute. And I don't know. I like, thought they just held the land hostage. No, they're they, like, we I occupy this the, federal space now. They, they like had guns and came into the had people? building, and I think that they, I don't know, I might be making this up, but that was my impression. I heard they, they killed JFK. Have, oh, shit. And I have some thoughts about giants that I would like to get into later. Giants? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I've everyone. There's been a streak going around lately where, like, I had a former coworker that believed in giants, like, like the whole like the government is suppressing the giants, kind of like they're all dead, but they're they were around, and so they find these big skeletons. Like how many Andrew like, Tholensis type deal? No, no, like Homo giantopithecus. <laughs> Like, 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 they just find, like, 14-foot skeletons of people. They. Nobody has, because they're not fucking real. Sure. But um, there's this guy on YouTube we, list, we used to listen to out in the desert. He does mud fossils, and I was talking about this today. Um, he thinks that all the rocks are bones, <laughs> which is, like, the creepiest, the creepiest possible explanation for geology. Because he's, like, you know, he's one of those guys that's, like, Everything is fake. Everything's a psyop. You know, nothing is how it seems. The rocks are bones. Ah. Not even bones. Dude, he thinks... I, I said I wasn't going to get into this, but here we are. Mm. He thinks that rocks are like fossilized organs of past inhabitants of the Earth. So like well, a I mean, red rock is a like work, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> not soft tissue most of the time. They got a couple of dinosaurs with like some ligaments, but like they're not having whole human hearts turn into like rocks, you know? <laughs> But, like, what a creepy, find, like, I, I would be... we keep, like, encountering those types of people. There was, um, this past... There's more than ever. More than ever, and I don't know if they're just getting more comfortable or what, but this past, uh, film <laughs> season, I was up at Voyager's, and I was in a brewery, and it was one of the local breweries, and this guy talked to me and my friend for two hours about how the Chinese, um, were harvesting people's organs. Um, oh. they were just, like, grabbing people off the street and taking their organs, and I'm like, that's not correct sir like what and i googled it just to be safe you know in case i had made this oh uh, you're gonna use the lamestream media well you know he said that he had one <laughs> youtube source and you know why oh there's my not God. more than one youtube source is because it's real <laughs> but um they are 
they're just I don't know. It's it's really weird and, and there was only one like other news source that was talking about it and it was uh like QAnon and gross. <laughs> yeah. I know, I honestly I love I usually entertain the conspiracies I hear in passing or, you know, wherever, but when this one coworker who no longer works where I work, he got me alone. And he was just going on about, like, oh, the Giants. And, like, I know the story of the Giant of Kandahar, where in 2011 a group of Marines engaged in combat in Afghanistan in the Kandahar region with an 11-foot humanoid. But I don't think it's real. I think it's fun, because I like Lord of the Rings. But he was going on about, yeah, he's like, the government, you know, they don't want us to know these things, because then it means the Bible is correct. And I just, like, I, I never do this, but I looked at him and I said, it's all bullshit. You know that. This is insane. This is not right. Like, I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> this is incorrect. The Bible and giants are separate. I know there's David and Goliath, but that's like one story. Yep. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that, honestly. I didn't either. I was like, alright. <laughs> no. Uh, so in Burns, after Burns, where did you go? Yeah, to so school? after Burns, um, I decided that I was going to go back to grad school. Um, and part of that plan was to head back to the Midwest um, because I always wanted to go back to Northern Michigan University for my grad school. So I started applying for jobs in the Midwest and I ended up with a wetland position up at Voyagers. Um, and... I had been, I had like kept in contact with my advisor from undergrad and he was like my favorite person. He still is my favorite person. And he agreed to like kind of take me on at the end of 2020, just because I didn't really know what else to do with the pandemic and everything. So, um, I had worked up there for a couple seasons at Voyagers and, um, I got to use the project for where we were serving in the cattail wetlands. Um, and I kind of got to turn that into my master's research. So it was kind of nice to just use that data and not have to do anything too much extra in order to make that's awesome yeah how did you get into plants and outdoorsy stuff originally are you from you're not from the up originally are you no so i'm from kamazoo area which is down here pointing at the lower part of part of michigan um okay so like where eminem is kind of from ish he was from detroit wasn't he yeah isn't that close it's on, Detroit's on the other side of the hand. Oh, I don't know where Detroit is. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so I grew up in, like, the cornfieldy parts of uh, Michigan, where... Kalamazoo County? Yes, Kalamazoo County, but, like, not the city of Kalamazoo, so... Um, I graduated with, like, 50 other people, so it was a really small town that I grew up in. Don't laugh. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm laughing at Kalamazoo. Oh. How dare you expect me to ex- expect that's real. It's real. There's a song about it. Who? I don't know. It's old. <laughs> <laughs> Who? Name it for me now. Uh, I'm Googling it. Song. Kalamazoo. It's called I've Got a Girl in Kalamazoo, and it's from 1944, and it's jazz. <laughs> okay. So one song 80 fucking years ago. Yeah. Put Kalamazoo on the map. So what about the cornfields? town of Kalamazoo got you stoked on outdoors. So I wasn't from the cornfields part, but like everybody else was. Um, so I was, we uh, oh. like lived in, yeah, Ooh. no, I'm better than that. <laughs> better than a house on the hill as the peasants <laughs> toiled in the fields. 
So we lived in like the woods part. So we were like where the bus didn't go because there were no sidewalks. And um, okay, we just, like Winter's Bone. What? Never mind. Keep going. <laughs> um, but like. <laughs> We had a big, and my family had a big uh, swamp in our backyard, and my sister and I would always end up in that swamp, and um, I like to excavate the bottles that somebody had dumped back there many years ago, and I don't know, I always ended up in the swamp and, like, just spent a bunch of my life outside in the early ages, and then um, what initially got me into plants was a project that I did in fifth grade um, that we had to go out and we had to collect like herbarium specimens. And I like got really That's carried cool. away with it. Yeah, no, it was so cool. And my, my fifth grade um, biology teacher, she was the best person, Marianne Bonine. She, I don't know if I get to give shout outs in here, but she's awesome. She was awesome. And um, she really got me like hooked on plants and just being like a weird little nature girl. And then, um, I kind of fell in love with jewelweed um, and patients with capensis, if you know that one. And mm-hmm. um, I know it well because I'm very susceptible to poison ivy. Oh yeah. Um, so that that one's super cool, but it's also got like the genetic component to it that's really interesting. So I re- I remember reading a or like forcing my way through a scientific paper when I was like in fifth grade because there was this study that they had done on the genetics of um, the seed dispersal mechanism, and I thought that was super cool. So you know how oh the explosive dehiscence. Yes, yeah. So they have that that mechanism, but they also have flowers that don't do that. And those flowers really? that um, so they they just develop. I don't I don't know what the botany term is, but like they just develop. They're self pollinated, and they don't. Clistogamus comes to mind, but I think that's in violets. Um, and they don't... That's when the flower doesn't necessarily even open before right. pollination occurs, right? Yeah. So, anyway, these ones don't explode. They just drop. So, those are more likely to be um, able to thrive in the environment that the parent, post-parent, or the, not the host-parent, the parent uh, <laughs> genes have. So, like, that's kind of, that, that was so cool to me that, like... The oh, so it's almost like they're splitting up their genomic lottery yeah, to be yeah. like, hey, you guys try this out, but you guys, hey, listen, I know this works, so you've got it. Yeah, it was neat, and it just kind of blew my little fifth grade mind that, that that was how that worked with my limited knowledge of biology and botany, and I don't know, it just made me hungry for more, and I always had like a little yeah. and stuff, but I just, I love growing things, and I just decided that I was going to be a botanist since fifth grade, and I don't know, mostly oh, kept wow. to that. There was like one year that I thought like being an artist would be more feasible, and that quickly. Uh, <laughs> if there's one field that doesn't pay more than biology, it's art. <laughs> it was a good thought, though, I mean. <laughs> you could do botanical illustrations. That's always a thing. So I have kind of been, sort of, oh. a little bit. So I have to Pop brag off. a little bit. Um, this past fall, I did a directed study with fungi. Um, not plants, but like fungi. And it was looking at fungi in the Upper Peninsula in Marquette area. And I did a bunch of spore prints. And then I threw the spore prints under the microscope to look at identification features for it, like, at a microscopic level, which was really cool. They're very, uh, they're very beautiful under the microscope, the spores are. And um, it was interesting to see how certain genera of mushrooms like matched up to what the spores look like. You could identify them on a spore level just based off of like the genuses and stuff. Um, and we 
the knowledge of mushrooms that are out is like it's so minimal there's so much more needs to be done like uh, i remember reading a study that was talking about how the most uh the most toxic mushroom in the upper peninsula um hang on i need to google this one because it's i'm giving you the old name but it's described in is it destroying angel yes but it's Bisporagia is the species that we have in the Upper Peninsula, but it's only been described in Europe. So it's probably not oh. Bisporagia. So we don't know what it is here. And there's like a bunch of different um, other mushrooms that we need to get into, like the chanterelles. They were talking about how um, there's probably four or five different species alone that all look the same in the mid, like in the north wherever I am, the Upper Peninsula, Wisconsin, Minnesota, that area alone. And that's that blows my mind. Like we need to be get, we need to be studying this. This is not like and I know plants are like we we the plants are cool too. And like they are so but the plasticity in the mushrooms, the phenotypic plasticity in the mushrooms is just it's so cool. We need to like look at these things because it's, it just makes my heart burn. Have you drawn these things? Oh, yeah, I was, I was going on a tangent about that, wasn't I? <laughs> um, so for my study, I did the, I took a picture of all the spores, and then I did watercolor prints of the mushrooms, um, and I oh, made cool. a little book um, containing all the mushrooms that I found with the spore prints, and then um, a watercolor drawing of them and identification features, and then I bound the book together um, using a bookbinding technique that I googled somehow, and then I actually use dyer's polypore, which is the mushroom that you can make dye from, to dye the cover of it. And it was super fun and super fulfilling, and I, I like doing that kind of thing a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's how you Isn't it weird to, like, learn how to make things like that? Like, yeah. on, I know bread is such a thing that everybody does, but, like, you can just make fucking bread if you want to. Are I know that's, like, bread? such a symptom. No, I, uh, once COVID hit and the flour shortage just started uh, and I was never good at it. So I gave up. Um, <laughs> but I know it, it's, it's such a symptom of like living in a very hyper-capitalist world. I'm like, but you can make bread. <laughs> Bread's the first thing every peasant made for 10,000 years. It's in your bones. Seriously. Uh, that's cool though. That is really cool. I love that. Oh, I, I love learning how to story. do like the baseline shit. So, um, this past semester we had STEM week at, Northern. I don't remember if that was like a um, nationwide thing or if it was just our school that did a, we did a STEM art week. So it was like combining the sciences with art. And I entered that book into it and I won first prize. So it was kind of hey. cool. I got 200 bucks. Was there a prize? What's that? Fuck yeah. Yeah. I mean, You're a paid artist. But... And they tax you for that? Yes. Can you believe that? What? Outrageous. <laughs> Capitalism. <laughs> so what would you say your favorite thing you've done professionally is um i don't have one i think my favorite thing professionally i don't know I, every every new position is like a new adventure and that's my favorite part of this field i guess mm -hmm. but i don't i don't have a favorite it's just being able to wake up every day and see new plants and learn new plants and it's so rewarding in itself, I think. I wish it was just a little bit easier to get into this field and, like, make it work because it's been a struggle for, like, the past 
how old am I? 28 years. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I was looking at grad schools this past, I guess, end of summer. And I was, like, starting to reach out. And I even had, a, like, a video call with some potential advisors. And, like, things were, like, going well in terms of, like, oh, yeah, I'll take you on. But then I looked at my financial situation, and I was thinking, like, there's no way I can afford to actually save up in the next year to not work regularly for two years after that. Yeah. Because grad school pays. You do, like, it's you know, garbage. if you get a TA, yep. it's garbage. So I have TA full-time. And you have no time to work a real job because you're working on your fucking thesis. Yeah. yeah. So they, the way our program is set up, um, we have a stipend. And our stipend mm-hmm. is supposed to cover everything that we should ever need uh, for the year. <laughs> it is twelve thousand dollars. Like food, rent. Yeah. Twelve thousand dollars for the year. Yep. Tell, tell me how if you don't have any kind of savings that that's feasible. <laughs> that's like ten months' rent at my yeah. place. And then we go. You can get food stamps. You can get Medicaid. You can live off the government. But then they shame us for it too. So I don't really know. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. I got an internship right out of college in San Francisco and they were like, oh yeah, a lot of our interns go on food stamps. And I'm thinking like, okay, that's fine for sure. But also I have student loans coming up soon and they're paying me $15 a day. And then that's why I went to Orange County instead. (laughs) I mean, at least the housing was covered there. I think that was a... Mm-hmm. That was a pretty good Just gig. crazy. I, the I highway actually, robbery is some of these places. Yeah, I know. I know. And they wonder why there's such a lack of diversity in this field. Yeah. I get it. There's no funding. You know, it's a top-down problem, but it's sure. so bad that unless, unless you're willing to be, like, starving broke or have a wealthy background, you're shit out of luck. And yeah. yeah. It's like exactly why there's a overwhelming amount of white people in it. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> what are um, pasties? No, pasties. <laughs> Don't tell me what pasties are. <laughs> I'm waiting for you to pronounce it correctly, but it, it's... Pasty? Right. It's not yeah, pasty? pasty? It's a pasty. Yeah. So, um, pasty. Back in the day... Back in the day when we worked in the mines, um, and I say <laughs> the whole history is fucking sweet. Yeah, you want it? I'm gonna bring it. So back in the Hit day me. when we worked in the mines and it was cold out and it was our twentieth uh, hour in the mine, um, we didn't have much to keep, much to eat, much to you know keep us warm down there in those mines. We Don't would know. take these little uh, pies, it's kind of like a meat pie, but you could stuff them with veggies or meat or whatever. Um, and then they're covered in like a dough, and then you bake them, and then you wrap them in foil, and ideally they stay warm, and they keep your little hands warm as you're down in those mines. And then you get to eat them. Um, and they're like a UP delicacy, and I love that that's the question you ask me. Because <laughs> I'm like, I, I can't eat them. You can't eat <laughs> them? It's a gluten-free issue, man. Gluten-free <laughs> you would survive the mines. What's that? That could be an angle. You could you could corner the gluten free market of pasties. Honestly, I only know them because like some the people that I know in that area are obsessed, and they don't make it outside of that area. I've no. never heard of a pasty before, like meeting you. 
there was a um there's a place down in Kalamazoo that tried to open up a pasty shop and I just it's why would you eat them down there? There's no mines. <laughs> <laughs> it's clearly the issue. But like it's it's a UP thing. Like you don't they're not good enough to eat otherwise. Don't to cut that out, that's gonna get me killed. <laughs> nope. <laughs> oh god. It's a hot take. I need to hear it from the source. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't eat them, really, so that's part of my bias, but, like, I don't think they're that yeah. great. They're just, like, a portable chicken pot pie. You get beef, too, Which I guess. But... Sounds pretty great, if you're asking. But... I don't like to eat beef, but I think I would fuck around with one of those. I feel like you have to try it, at least. At this point, Erica's audio completely shits the bed, but... You can find her on Instagram at ericacy5, Erica with a K. It's a fucking good get if I have to say anything about it. Tune in next week for another exciting addition to the Plant Pals lore.